Hey, welcome to another Coach You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I think you're really going to enjoy today. Lavelle Moton, L-E-V-E-L-L-E, Moton, M-O-T-O-N, and you'll see why that's significant later on. The head coach of North Carolina Central University, one of the great coaches in college basketball today, a dear friend, someone that I've really, I've really, you know, appreciated over the years for many, many reasons his coaching ability, his relationship with people, his love of the HBCU community. Uh, he's a, a remarkable guy, uh, really a super smart guy. But I think if you ever get a chance to see his team's practice, go up to Durham, North Carolina, watch his team's practice, you can learn a ton. He is a phenomenal coach. I think you're really going to enjoy him. We talk about the HBCU thing. We talk about his relationships with Chris Paul, Coach K, and others. And talk about their style of play. When I was at LSU coaching, uh, he was one of the best coaches we faced, frankly. And uh, I, I just think the success he's had uh, winning four or five MEAC championships is just absolutely remarkable. I think you'll really enjoy him. He is so much more. He epitomizes the role of a coach. He's a, and he's a great parent, family guy. Lavelle Moton is a guy you're really going to enjoy. Uh, you know, and I want to also point out to you that, you know, when we just went through uh, the Final Four in New Orleans, great event, great coaching, uh, it was great to catch up with a lot of people. But I think one of the things that I really saw was the influence of coaching, but more importantly of learning. Went to a couple of events down there. We had our coaches uh, forum down there with our friends at Fast Model. And the guests that we had, the impact they make on coaches, that's what this is about. This is your off-season, but... It's really your on season because this is when you have to learn. Like we want our players to develop in the off season and get better. This is when you need to get better. This is when. So we have several things that can really help you. Number one, we just launched an incredible, incredible learning platform for you where you can go in and now and get our coaching you membership where you now coaching you plus was created for you. There is no one in America that's coaching at the youth, high school, college, or professional level that can't afford this. This was created for everyone. Please take advantage of that. We have our two great events out in Vegas in July. The 9th and 10th, we have our Coaching You Live VIP experience where we have top NBA coaches. The great John Gordon, the author, is coming in to speak. Uh, is one of our favorite speakers, our Hall of Fame speaker that we bring in. Every now and then he's able to fit into his schedule. And Ettore Messina, the greatest coach outside the NBA in the world, will also be there, uh, as well as many other tremendous NBA coaches. So I think you'll really enjoy it. And then for those of you that are would love to be in the NBA or professional basketball in the front office to learn how to scout, move into the front office administration, player development, advanced scouting, we have put together something that we have done for years privately for the Players Association. We have now captured this using all the talent of NBA front office executives and personnel to run our front office training camp, a two-day two program at the Planet Hollywood Hotel that you will find on Monday and Tuesday, the 11th and 12th of July. Absolutely incredible. 
go to coachingyoulive.com forward slash 2022 for more information. That's coachingyoulive.com forward slash 2022 for more information. I think you'll really like everything that we have there. Please take advantage of the early bird registration for the two events. And right now, our super low launch price of $7.99 for our membership platform. After a quick timeout, stay tuned for Lavelle Moton. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that into Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Coaches, are you looking to take your game preparation to the next level? Then Fast Model Sports is the perfect coaching software for you. With FastDraw, build an organized library of plays and drills and create professional playbooks to share with your players and staff. You can also download over 9,500 free plays and drills from our play bank directly to your FastDraw account. Looking for a better way to build your scouting reports and want to include video? With FastScout, build custom scouting report templates to prepare your team best for each individual opponent. Plus, did you know with the latest updates from Fast Model Sports, you can now include video with your FastScout reports and share with your coaches and staff all within the FastScout mobile app. The combination of Fast Draw and Fast Scout is by far the best way for you and your coaches to create winning game strategies and effectively communicate them to your team. Over 10,000 high school and youth coaches trust Fast Model Sports products to help their teams reach their goals. To order, go to fastmodelsports.com, use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any Fast Draw or Fast Scout products. Remember, Go to FastModelSports.com, use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any Fast Draw and Fast Scout products. I'm so excited today to have our guest, Lavelle Moten, the head coach at North Carolina Central University in beautiful Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, my friend. It's been a while. Brendan, thank you for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. Well, you know... uh, I've been a big fan. When I was at LSU, we got to play you, and I, 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 I had a big wow. Uh, 
you're one of the best coaches I've ever coached against in 15 years of coaching in college. I coached 30 plus in the NBA, but you, uh, I think that season before you played us, you had just beaten Ohio state yeah. and, uh, you know, and, uh, I said, my goodness. Uh, and I remember us talking, you're one of the most talented guys I know on and off the court. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, I think your 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 story, and I love stories. Mm -hmm. Your story of how, first of all, you were a great college player, but then the idea of getting hired at your alma mater is always special. Right. Uh, so in two thousand nine, and now here we are, twenty two. Uh, what a in our day and age of coaching, that's that's like dog years, right? Right. So tell me how, I think it's a great story because we have coaches all over the world that listen, but really the thing that's for our young coaches that listen, uh, explain how the interview process went to getting a job. You know, it was, it was really, it was really unique, man. I, my, probably the most common question I get, and I'm sure you get it as well is from young coaches and people wanting to break into the business is what's the best way to break into the business. Mm -hmm. And I just tell them that's the, I'm the wrong person to ask that question to, because what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, when I stopped playing overseas, um, my college coach at the time at North Carolina Central, he was now at Delaware State, Greg Jackson. He offered me an assistant job for $85,000 a year. But the same week, I go to a middle school and the middle school principal is my favorite seventh grade teacher. And she said, I want you to take this job just to coach. And I said, how much does it pay? She said $225 a month. Right. So it was only for three, three months. So it was, it was going to be $675 for the year. So she said, can you let me know by Friday? My coach, Greg Jackson said, can you let me know? Can you take this job by Friday? So I had a decision to make. I went and prayed on it. And you know, what I learned in that decision in that, in that decision-making process is that if the first question that you ask is what will other people think about me, then you're not living your life. You're, you're more so performing for acceptance. So a lot of people don't know this, but I chose the $675 middle school job. Right. And everybody thought I was crazy. My mom thought I was crazy, but you know, I was a single man. I had some leeway to work where I had some money in the bank and whatever I was. So, after three years of middle school, we won a couple of championships. Then I started mm -hmm. doing AAU. And, you know, on my block where I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, like my big brother, my mentor is Nate McMillan. Like, so he grew up yep. around the corner from me. Right. But mm -hmm. it's a whole sequence of all, all of our guys that come from that neighborhood. Myself, John Wall, PJ Tucker, Devontae Graham, TJ Warren. Like we're all from the same block, just almost. So I wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps. So I went up to high school. And we won a couple of championships in high school. And North Carolina Central called me and asked me to come back and be the assistant coach. And they did it like three times, and I declined. A lot of people don't know that because I wanted to be loyal to the people that gave me an opportunity. And that's just who mm -hmm. I am. That's the fabric of who I am. And finally, their um, alums, some boosters got on the phone and said, look, we're going. We're making this transition from D2 to D1, and we really need you. And I didn't like – I wasn't – romanticized by college basketball because uh, it was the business of it. And I ain't like that part of it. Right. I, I, right. I just liked affecting and impacting kids life, but the business of it, it just kind of looted those things. And I, I didn't want any parts of it. No one had any mores and values. Like it was just corrupt to me. I was saying, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Finally, my 
high school principal, Kathy Moore, who's now the superintendent of North Carolina schools, she told me, she grabbed my face like this. And anytime <laughs> a woman grabs your face like this, like it's going to be some heavy stuff coming after. She said, what you have to offer this world is greater than Sanderson High School. You need to go back to your alma mater and do it. And so I went back and I was uh, assistant coach for two years. It was some of the, you know, we was going through the transition. It was the worst time of my life. I had never lost at anything <laughs> in my life. And we were getting beat to death um, by 40 points. And then they let my coach go at the time, Henry Dickinson. And I called my principal back and said, I want to go back to high school. And my <laughs> my wife said, why don't you apply for the job? I said, we had the worst record in the country. Who's going to hire a dude that was on that staff, right? Like, th that's not how this works. And she's like, you got to have some faith. So long story short, I, I go in there, and it's a committee, and nobody asked me anything about basketball. Everybody asked me about CEO questions because I was going to be the youngest coach in the country. So I guess they were saying, are you able to run – uh, are you able to become a good CEO? Can you run a Fortune 500 company? Right. Do you have the leadership skills? We know, you know, basketball, like the back of your hand. And so I answered all of those questions the best way that I can. I couldn't promise anybody nothing because I had never been a college coach in my life. Right. And I just told him, I said, listen, the goals are still 10 feet. The, the floor is still 94 by 50. Only, they, only difference is the players are just a little better than the ones I've already coached. That's it. <laughs> right. And they was like, well, you never recruited before. Like I said, mm -hmm. Yes, I had. I said, every day when I grew up, I went to the playground and I played. And I said, I said, I got you, I got you, I got you, and I got you. That's recruiting. <laughs> I said, I've always recruited, right? And so it was like tongue in cheek and they kind of laughed, but it was true. I was like, look, don't overcomplicate this thing. It's basketball. Right. And, you know, the last thing that, that happened was my chancellor, uh, Charlie Nams, called me and he said, I want to know. I don't care about the basketball. Are you tough enough for this job? And I, I said, man, if I'm nothing else in my life, like I'm tough enough. And he said, congratulations, you had a job. They didn't want to see your resume or any of that stuff, right? I mean, that's that's the they they, they married the person. That's right. what they did. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I I, I want to get to this because you just let it in perfectly. Why do you coach, though? That's, why do you coach? My grandmother, when I was 10 years old, I don't know if y'all remember this. They they used to have this competition called the Pepsi. Oh, I remember. Yeah, Pe Pepsi Hot Shot. Pepsi Hot Shot. I could never get out of the first round, but go ahead. I, I won the Pepsi Hot Shot championship. So I was the best shooter in the world when I was 10 years old. I had a chance to shoot at a halftime of a Bullets I'm dating myself. It was the bullets back then, the bullets and the bulls, right? It was Jordan's rookie year, right? How about that? And I did it in D.C. And everybody was watching. My entire neighborhood was watching, and I won it. And when I came home, I told my grandma, like, I'm going to buy you this house. I'm going to buy you this car one day. And she was like, she looked me dead in my face, and she said, I want you to understand something. She said, the two most important days of your life is the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why. Right. And so she said, you need to figure out why you're here on this earth. And so from that point on, I always knew my purpose on earth was to serve others. It was just in my heart. It's my nature. 
right? To help people in the community, help this person, help, 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 because I got a lot of that from her. That's who she was. And so when I began coaching, I just wanted to impact the lives of young men that looked like me, that came from situations like me, you know, such as a John Wall, right? I, I established right. the Lavelle Moton basketball camp. John Wall was one of my first, PJ Tucker was one of my first kids. John Wall, I threw John Wall out of my camp because he had the craziest attitude, right? And I saw his mom at the store the next, not too long after. She said, Vail, you let my baby back in that camp. God rest her soul because she said, somebody <laughs> helped you. I said, no, your baby crazy as hell. She said, no, you <laughs> so on and so forth. And so I realized, you know, John, me and John had very similar backgrounds. And so he was crying out in his own way for that male mentorship, right? And so, because I needed it too from our mentor, Ron Williams, who kind of raised all of us. And so I, I, I coach basketball because I just want to in, impact the lives um, of these young men so they can go on to be future leaders and head of households and husbands because the same discipline that's required to be a good basketball player is the same discipline that's required to be a good husband or a good father. Right. Yep. Or a good head of your household. It's still it's all the same thing. Right. And you can learn those precious nuggets from the game. And so we call that what grandma's basketball philosophy. Is that what yeah. it is? Or, yeah, I love it. I yeah. absolutely love that. Yeah. Grandma knows best. <laughs> but one, one of the things that I think you have that dual purpose is. And I think it, I think it's a blessing that you're an HBCU coach. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I mean, you talk about something that's trending now or HBCUs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy that some of your friends, namely Chris Paul, but the other players in the league who didn't go to a school, there's only one player in the league that went to one, mm -hmm. right? Robert. Uh, Rob Covington, you know, right? And, uh, you know, but they all believe in it. Right. And, they're really and, and and you know and it's good that Stephen A. Smith is an HBCU guy from Winston Salem, mm -hmm. an inferior school to yours. But okay. you know, I, I tease him all the time. But, you, you know, <laughs> shout out. Yeah, but but you know, uh, but so many great coaches where you were at the great John McClendon, who Isaiah Thomas swears he learned so much from, uh, one of the greatest fast break coaches, maybe the best ever in the game. You know, and so we've had so many great coaches, but more, big house gains, of course. But you are really serving a, a greater, a, the real greater good now of helping these young men uh, go on. Tell me, and tell me what it's like to coach at an HBCU. You know, it's, it's I don't even know if we have enough time. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's who I am. It's my pedigree. I attended an HBCU, um, you know, and I know the importance, you know, of being at an HBCU. And I know the responsibility mm -hmm. that I have and the, not only the moral obligation, but the social responsibility that I have in regards to it. You know, HBCUs were established because it was an alternative means of education um, because predominantly white institutions didn't want African-Americans in the institutions, right? So we established our own. And, you know, somewhere along the lines, you know, it it, it shifted away and it became uh, a cash cow, 
pretty much, right? And I, I think it all changed when, you know, I, I want to say in the early 70s, USC came to Alabama in football, and they had a running back by the name of Sam Cunningham. And he yep. actually destroyed Alabama that day. And so the SEC was like, no, nah, we're going to start recruiting these black athletes. Prior to that, if you look at Eddie Robinson at Grambling, the first wave yes. of Hall of Famers, he's, he's coached over 200 NFL guys. If you look at the first wave of Hall of Famers, like all those guys came from HBCUs, right? Mm-hmm. The Blunts and the, uh, the, the, the Rileys and the uh, Walter Paytons and the, you know, the list goes on and on. Larry Little's like it, it just goes on and on. And so, you know, you have a moral responsibility and an obligation at HBCUs. And I tell you, the most beautiful thing is that, you know, as as African Americans in this country, you know, we we have a major problem. We have a we have a racial issue that's never truly been discussed. We always sweep it under the rug. But I'm the one that says, hey, let's go to the dinner table. Let's have these tough conversations so we can get past it. So our kids don't have to grow up in the climate. Um, such as this. And like one of the problems in the world, if you ask me, is that if you look at your history books, if you look at the public school history book, there's only five black people that you learn about in that history book, right? So if it's a 300-page history book, a young African-American kid is saying, wow, only five black people had major contributions to the United States. Right. Hmm. And those same black people is always Harriet Tubman and uh, Harriet Tubman, Jackie Robinson, Martin Luther King. <laughs> they, they'll tell you about Rosa Parks. And now this generation might get a little bit of Obama or somebody like that or Hank Aaron. Right. It's five or six. Right. Right. And that's real tricky because what it does is it lowers the morale and esteem of someone that's African-American because they're saying, wow, only five people that look like me have major contributions to society. And it heightens and raises the level of esteem of someone that's not African-American because the other 295 pages must be about them. So they, both of them walk away uneducated, right? One of them feeling inferior to the other and they shouldn't. And the other one is feeling superior to the other and they shouldn't because they never really been truly educated the proper way at HBCU. We learn about our history. We learn about us. And so all of the McClendon stuff, I can tell you, we learn about history before 1865, after 1865. So they really teach you who you are and you can't, that's the biggest education in life. Everybody talk about geometry and the Pythagorean theory and political science (laughs) and criminal justice majors. Well, none of that matters if you don't know who you are. Right. And so that's what HBCUs have done personally for me and just, across the spectrum is that it's, it's provided us with the opportunity to become educated with who we actually are, because coming through the public school system, you don't get that. You take those lessons and that education and you apply it to your basketball team, because the reality is, as you mentioned, it's only one HBCU basketball player that's playing in the league. But the reality is all this transfer portal stuff and whatever it, at the end of the day, it, it, what's never going to change is that it takes what it takes. They're going to draft 60 players, but they're only keeping 35, and it's going to be less than 1% out of almost a million, right? So you got to be really good. The rest of you got to go into this real world. So we try to prepare these young men through the game of basketball um, to enhance their productivity in this world because that's the reality when this ball is going to stop bouncing. That's coaching. That is 
That is really coaching. After this quick timeout, I want to come back and talk to you, Lavelle, about your style of play and what has made your program a winning program and winning the, the MEAC so many times. We'll be right back with Lavelle Moat. I'm so excited to announce our new partner, Instat. Instat is a powerful web-based platform which enables you to store, edit, and share video linked to statistics. Their video database contains over 30,000 player profiles and nearly 7,000 team profiles. Thousands of basketball games from all over the world are uploaded daily, with many of them filmed exclusively by Instat. Instat's user-friendly interface is very intuitive. The flexible filtering system will fit the needs of coaches at all levels. You can sort through specific play types, locations on the court, lineups, and various other parameters. The Instat system contains multiple tools that clients from all over the world utilize for scouting, recruiting, coaching and player development, video editing, and tagging. They also take an individual approach to each client. The wide network of Instat account representatives allow Instat to best serve their clients 24-7. Also, Instat production specialists will provide you with the quick and precise breakdowns of your team and opponents in less than 10 hours. Need a certain game ready sooner? Instat gives you the ability to prioritize the specific games you want the data for first. Instat also provides free individual player access. So feel free to invite your players to the Instat platform so they can access their page, follow their performance, scout opponents, and share clips with other players and coaches. After each game, they can receive an individual one-page PDF report and video clips with all box score statistics. For more details, please visit our official website, instatsport.com forward slash basketball and apply for a free one-month trial using code CoachingYouLive. Again, that code is CoachingYouLive. Contact Eric Stang at eric.stang at instatsport.com for more information on this offer as well. And that's E-R-I-C period S-T-A-N-G at I-N-S-T-A-T sport.com or click the link in our show notes. We're back with head coach Lavelle Moten of North Carolina Central University. Uh, did you ever dream? I remember you t- when you took the job. I loved your TED talk, by the way. One of the best, most entertaining things I've ever listened to. I, I, I listened <laughs> to it three times. It's absolutely spectacular. That's why you're a terrific corporate speaker, because the messages and leader on leadership and team building and that and motivation are off the charts. So wow. any companies down in the triangle there or anywhere in the U.S. that want someone to come in and teach your people, <laughs> it was as good as it gets, Lavelle. That was phenomenal. I appreciate it. Yeah. So when when you um, when you got the job, mm-hmm. you promised you made it. You made a great promise. I love guarantees when you get a job. <laughs> so in five years, you promised that you would beat an ACC team, uh-huh. and and you would win it win the tournament you know basically win your conference mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. which gets you an ncaa bid right right absolutely oh baby we get up to year five you're getting a little nervous aren't you man 
You know, like you say things that are depressing and you think they forget, <laughs> but in year five, they remind you. You remember you said you, I was like, did I say that? I'm them show me the transcript and everything because I don't remember what I said at that press conference, but they reminded me. Now they emailing me, sending me clips. See right here? You said, <laughs> so now I put some crazy pressure on myself that year. And did you beat an ACC team? Yeah, you know it's crazy. We're we're <laughs> we're um I got a I got a really good team, and you know you know those teams you feel really sure. good, right? It's like it's like playing cards, and you know you got both <laughs> jokers in your hand to do anything. <laughs> like you you just waiting. And locally, I told my point guard Poopy Chapman, I said we're playing NC State. He looked me. This was in the summer. He told me he looked me dead in my face. He said, "Coach, we're gonna beat them." And I saw a look in his face I had never seen before. And I was like, wow. So we scheduled him. And I knew we had a good team. We had we lost to Cincinnati maybe a week before by five, right? And we felt like we should have won that game at Cincinnati. And then we go to NC State. And this is their tournament team. That, he, that, that was eventually their tournament team. And we came in with a game plan. And I was like, I think we're better than this basketball team, but no disrespect to NC State. It's just how much I believed in my team. And uh-huh. we led from start to finish. Now, the year before, we're playing Jeff Capel at Oklahoma. He was my AAU teammate. And we led Oklahoma from start to finish. And at the end of regulation, they hit a three-point basket, right? Wow. And it hurt us so bad. Like, it tied, it tied the game to send it into overtime. And they just – we didn't even score in overtime because we were so distraught out, you know, at the end of regulation, he hit a lucky three. I was like, Oh my goodness. So against NC state, we leave from start to finish. We're up eight. I got my best play on the line. He missed the front end of a one and one NC state rushed down. They passed to the corner and hit a three at the end of regulation to tie. As a coach, I'm just like, this can't be Oklahoma <laughs> all over again. I'm like, why, 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 why? My captain, KJ Javar, he looks at me. He grabs me. He said, Coach, we're not losing this damn game. And I was like, yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> we outscored them by 10 in overtime. And I think it was the game that really catapulted us to the next level in terms of our confidence if I wasn't even thinking about the promise at that time, I was just concerned with winning the basketball game sure. and we ended up winning it. And, you know, that team went on to have the most HBCU wins in the history of HBCUs. I think we had 28, we could have had 30. Wow. Wins that year, right. We could wow. have had wins that year. We left, we left some, some on the table and we went to MEAC tournament. And two weeks before we won the MEAC, I'm just at home and I'm watching the game because I felt like we could beat anybody. We went to Wichita State that year and we lost by four to them. My best player had like 39 against them, but he missed six free throws down the stretch. Right. So we just felt like we could beat anyone. And so I'm watching ESPN late at night, two weeks before the seat before our conference tournament, and I'm watching um Iowa State and they're playing Kansas. And they were just they just put it on Kansas. Like they were really good. It was Fred Hoiberg's team. Yep. They were big. Terrific. Monte, they had um, the point guard, DeAndre. They, they just caused you problems everywhere, right? And I was like, dang, I hope we ain't got to never play them. And so 
going into the finals, I said, like going into the selection show, I said, I hope we don't play Iowa State or Louisville because they caused matchup problems. But anybody else will beat. Wow. And as they're doing the selection show, Gumbel says, in North Carolina Central, they'll be in San Antonio playing the Iowa State Cyclones. Said, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was a tough matchup. We down four at the half. Um, but they eventually just wore us down with firepower. We were a 14 seed for HBCU. That, I think that was the lowest ever. And yeah. I just always felt like that was the team that was going to go to the Sweet 16. Right. If we wow. didn't play Iowa State, we were going to go to the Sweet 16 and I was banking on it. But I love those kids and I love that moment, man, because that that really put our program on the map. Yep. So talk about I was you know, really impressed coaching against you with the things you ran, your defensive schemes. So when you what's your describe to our the coaches that are listening, your style of play. If they went to see Lavelle Moton in mm-hmm. practice or in the game, what's your style of play? You know, it, it's always personnel-based. And I think Good. the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly, Ben, because I hear so many teams that say, oh, we're going to run, we're going to run, we're going to run. <laughs> well, on our level, that that matters if you're playing yourself or somebody, a like opponent. But we playing the LSUs in Carolina. You ain't going to outrun them. Right. right. So you got to value the basketball and so on and so forth. You got to be able to switch things up. That was the biggest thing that happened to me. And the best thing that happened to my career was me taking that middle school job because you only get what's in your area code in middle school. Right. <laughs> and so you're getting guys who's it. not even basketball players. They just, <laughs> you know, some of these guys just out here. So you got to be able to play a triangle in two. Got to play, be able to play a boxing one. Got to be able to push it. Got to be able to slow it down, depending on who's in your area code and what team you have. <laughs> so I learned that at an early age to adjust, right? So it's second nature to me. Same thing in high school. I went to a high school that we didn't have the best athletes. Like, we were great in soccer, but, you know, if your soccer team is good, your basketball team, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's either boy, like, you know, and it's never soccer and basketball up there. <laughs> soccer, like, right? And yeah. so we didn't have those athletes, so we had to – I had some smart, intelligent kids, so we had to make necessary adjustments. So when I got to college, it was all just personnel-based, um, you know, in theory, we like to, you know, get stops and get out in transition, early transitions. And um, we run a – I didn't really like this, but we run a multitude of quick hitters, right? Yep. And then it flows into something. And the reason was because the scouting was so advanced that everything that you did, they took your things away. Like, we came out running horns, and I got that from you. I'll never forget my first year coaching you. It was incredible for me because – I learned so much from you, and I think Doc was there that year. And Kevin, like, I was like, yo, am I, I was questioning, am I really a coach? Like, these guys right here, they, they coaches. I'm not a coach, right? I was just kind of learning, but I took notes and after note after note. I even remember how um, the inception of Horns came about. You know, yep. I think it was just Benny on the practice team, you know, just just doing it. And now that, that became Horns. And so we, we, run a, we, we run a multitude of sets. And we kind of switch it up. And then defensively, we'll run man, we'll press you, we'll zone you, we'll do a triangle two, we'll box in one, whatever's one, three, one, whatever's going to three, two matchup, whatever's going to give us the best opportunity to win a game. That's what we'll do. And, and sometimes it's overload, sometimes it's underload. But, 
you know, we're a pack line basketball team in terms of our defense, but we like to deny the first two passes before we go into the pack line. Right. So we, we took it and we just kind of tweaked it a little bit. Right. Mm. Want to extend you a little bit. So we'll deny the first two passes and then we'll drop into the pack. Right. Because I don't want you feeling completely comfortable. So it's some things that we do that kind of mix it up, depending on who we're playing. You know, there are questions often asked of me, uh, coach, do you believe in having a system like triangle or Princeton, something like that? Or do you believe in more a style of play? Mm. And I am, I'm totally style of play based on talent. Right. Right. You Absolutely. know, I don't care if even if it's in the NBA, because there's 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 Phoenix Suns and then there's the Orlando Magic or the right. Oklahoma City Thunder. They're both professionals, both make a lot of money, but there's a big difference in talent. Absolutely. You know, and in and in stages of development of a franchise. And so I think it's the same thing in college. I, I I love the press conference comment because every press conference, if we took the 50 or so press conferences this spring from every new coach hired, everyone's going to play up-tempo. We're going to fast break. We're going to do this, right? And we're all going to win championships, yeah. you know, everyone. And and the two of the most successful teams and great coaches, Tony Bennett from Virginia, yes. the great Jay Wright from Villanova, Right. They have the two slowest style pace of plays in college basketball, like for 10 straight years. Wow. You know, yeah. It was shocking when I heard it with Jay. I knew Tony, but Jay, I was like, yeah. wow, that's. Yeah. No, because what, if you think about it, Jay comes down and they pass the ball, pass the ball, then their guards get it and they back you in, back you in, back you in, go one-on-one. If you double team and they throw it out, make a three. But yep. they're always shooting under seven seconds to go in the shot clock, wow. which is interesting. And, and But you know what? It's about winning. That's it. And that's with his players, that's the best thing for him to do. And I, I think that's so important. That's the other it. thing, Lavelle, that I think it, it, it really I think is one of your keys to your success is your phenomenal ability to develop relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you live and work in a, an incredible town because I used to, when I first got in coaching as a college student, I would go down and spend two to three weeks every summer in Durham at mm. Duke University camp as a counselor. Wow. And you, UB Brown was oh, the wow. assistant coach there. Chuck Daly. And Chuck Daly. Daly. Yep. And those guys, and UB was my high school coach, so he would let me come down as a sophomore in college. And Mike Fratello and I would drive down from Jersey and we would work a couple of weeks at camp. And so I love Durham. I know it like the back of my hand. I love Duke and everything. But Coach K, who I've also known since he started coaching at Army, okay? Wow. Uh, he loves you. Absolutely yeah. loves you, thinks the world of you, you know, and you have developed an incredible relationship. Explain that dynamic. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of who I am um, naturally. Um, probably the one thing people say most when they mention my name is that, wow, he knows everybody, right? And (laughs) you don't realize it until, you know, you got to go in your Rolodex and help someone else or whatever it may be. And I know everybody, not because I've just made it, you know, some, some of these relationships are forced. Like I, I ain't go to the final four handed out cards saying, Hey, no, I want you to know me. I would like, it's, it's never that I've been fortunate because I've been humble enough, um, to search for mentors um, because, again, I didn't come in under a Izzo 
or John Chaney or Coach K and meet everybody that they knew. And so I didn't have anyone to mold me and show me the ropes. I came from middle school. And so George Ravelin became my mentor. And it was one of the best things that happened. We were at the Final Four, and me and him were meeting for breakfast. And I was there earlier, and I saw him coming through the Final Four crowd. And it took <laughs> him 20 minutes to get 20 steps because everybody grabbing him. And I'm like, damn, it looks like Michael Jackson coming through the crowd. And so when he sat down with me, one of the things he told me was the key is cultivating and fostering relationships. And a lot of people don't do that. They think networking is handing out a business card and I'm waiting to hear from you again or whatever. But Coach Rav did something that I had never seen done before. Him and the Colangelos were really close. And he had just came from a meeting and he had asked his secretary or his assistant to send the Colangelos a bottle of wine and the note that was attached to it, right? And I'm sitting on the phone. I'm on the phone. He's on the phone, but I'm here with them, and I'm listening to this. And I was like, wow. And he says, he said, no, nah, not that kind of wine, the finest. And I'm, I'm not a drinker, so I don't know. I've never drank in my life, so I don't know what kind of wine it was. But I just had a thought in my mind. I was like, damn, I should do that. So when I got back to the Durham, I went to Food Lion <laughs> and bought. <laughs> I love it. I know Food Lion. I love it. That's my story. Look, I still got this, yeah. the gold card on my thing. I'm the cheapest coach in America. Like, I'm definitely that. So I go to Food Lion and I buy all the cases of sparkling cider, right? In Alpha Cider and Welch's sparkling cider. And it looks just like wine, right? And so I had my secretary just create all these cards with the pretty ribbon on there. And I would deliver them to people whenever I met them. Hey, great meeting you. Uh, I enjoy talking about XYZ, XYZ. And, and that kind of stuck with people. I was notorious for that, right? And so people like, oh, you the dude that always send the, the wealth is great because it's not even wine. It's wealth is great, right? So you're going to remember all of those things, but it was genuine. And it was kind of like the gift of reciprocity. In terms of Durham, when I got the job at, Car I mean, at, at uh, Central and it, you had Carolina and Duke five and 10 miles away from me, I looked at it as if I'm, if I'm a new startup company and I have five miles away from me, I have Warren Buffett and 10 miles away from me, I have Jeff Bezos and I don't reach out to them, then I'm a fool, right? I got two billionaires and I'm a startup company that's five miles away from me. I need to utilize that. And I reached out to Coach K. He already knew me from the days of uh, me playing at North Carolina Central. Um, me and Grant Hill are like this. We've been like this for 30 years. So I met Grant when he was at Duke and I was at North Carolina Central. So we always had the relationship. So it was always a healthy respect. And I reached out to Coach K. And the first thing he said, it was during the summer, he said, I want you to come to my K Academy. Let's sit down and have lunch. And I don't know if you've ever been to his K Academy. It's like. No, but I, I know about it, though. It's yeah. incredible, right? It's inc and I'm sitting here like, good gracious. So it's all these multi-millionaires and close to billionaires running up and down a basketball court at a basketball camp, right? These are grown men at basketball camp. I, I, so him and I just talking and we spoke for like an hour and he was impressed because I'm a historian. So I knew, I knew everybody that played at Duke, you know, from Chip England to Gene Banks to 
Mike Jaminski, I was telling him about all his teams, things that he forgot. And I knew Tommy. And so he respected the history. I was, I told him about the 86 championship game. And I told him about the David Robinson game and, you know, like all of these games in the Meadowlands that they played and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I was like, tell me, I said, the play that you, everybody look at that where you beat Kentucky, where Grant threw the home run to Christian and he turned to made the shot. I said, you tried that same play against Wake Forest earlier in the year and Grant threw the wow. ball out of bounds. So just, he was just like, wow. It's like, how the hell did you know all this? Right. <laughs> I just studied and so that kind of got his attention. And over the years, we just formed a great, great, great relationship. And the same thing with Roy at, at North Carolina. Right. And so I just believe in being myself and treating people the way I want to be treated. And, um, you know, just learning. And there's something about, you know, I don't, I don't want to misquote the person that said it, but if you help people get what they want, then you in turn someday will get possibly what you want. What you want. Right. And it's pretty. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. And uh, the other one I'm fascinated with is it's almost like uh, like a little brother to you is Chris Paul. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know he's such a special guy, man. He's a, a terrific leader. He's a great player. I love point guards, having had Isaiah and stuff over the years and so many great ones. But when you're – those guys like Isaiah and Chris, they're geniuses. They're usually basketball geniuses, but they're also geniuses off the court. Yeah. And and I, I, I just love the way I, I can tell by the things he does, how much he embraces the relationship you two have. Yeah. How special is that for you? You know, it's really special. A lot of people don't know this, but I've known Chris since he was eight or nine years old. Yeah. Right. And, and him and his brother, CJ, I knew them when they were really young. Um, their babysitter, one of my good friends dated their babysitter. Right. And I didn't know it was Chris Paul and CJ Paul. Like they just snotty nose kids running around. But <laughs> I would go with my friend when he went to see her sometimes and I was like, man, I remember y'all from somewhere. And I was like, did you, was your babysitter such as, he was like, yes, that was, I said, there it is. So you know, <laughs> throughout the years, I've seen Chris grow and develop, right? Because Chris wasn't a highly coveted basketball player until like his, Chris may be the only basketball player in the NBA that played two years of J, JV basketball. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't know wow. if there's another player in the NBA that played two years of junior varsity basketball. Chris played two years at junior varsity basketball and then it took off. And I remember watching him when it took off because a, another guy that's like a little brother of mine, PJ Tucker. Yeah. They started playing on the same team. And I was like, yo, this point guard right here, like this kid is going to be super, super special. It just kept taking off. And by the time he got to the, the nationals was in Orlando then he just put on a clinic and I was like, yo, this kid is going to be incredibly good. And his family has always been tremendous. His brothers, like they, they're just tremendous individuals, right? Like if you didn't know Chris, you wouldn't think he's an NBA basketball player, right? You just think he's a, a nice politician who's in search <laughs> of saving the world hunger and all like that's, he's just so genuine, right? He's just so humble. Yeah. Come from, you know, that place. And so I'm thankful for the relationship. Because, it, you know, in the past couple of years, he's amplified our relationship by choosing to shine a spotlight on HBCUs. And yes. with that doing so, he chose to do a documentary. And he said, 
it was crazy. It was after the George Floyd thing. I started getting calls from any and everybody that had a production company, right? Like, so it was Serena Wynn's production company. The Rock had seven pounds. I'm like, how the, what the hell is The Rock calling me? You know, like <laughs> Kevin Durant and um, uh, 35 Inches, right? Um, like all wow. of these people were calling to do a documentary. And so I went with Chris because it's the North Carolina, you know, uh, connection and all that. And two weeks later, Stephen A is on the phone and he said he wants to executive produce it. And wow. a week after that, Bob Iker, the president of Disney is on the phone and he said, yo, let's do it. And so it just fell into play <laughs> just like that. And it was during a COVID year, but it was the most watched documentary. And it was incredible on ESPN plus because people got a chance to peep behind the curtains. Nobody just wanted to see basketball. They wanted to see what do you do on a day-to-day basis? And I told Chris, I said, look, man, we're going to do this. Like I'm not a reality star. Like I just have to be myself. I got to edit everything else, but I have to be myself. Like I can't do it because it, it becomes time consuming. Like these cameras spend a lot of time in your house. They spend in the night waking up with you. Right. So it's really an invasion of privacy. Right. And I'm like, yeah, if you're not used to that, it can really wear and tear on you, right? And I didn't really want that attention and so on and so forth. But, you know, we got through it and it ended up being an incredible, you know, documentary. And what Chris has done for not only me, but like my son, it's, it's, it's bananas, man. Chris call him and they'll talk. And then my son say, my son is nine. So now he's understanding who is who and what is what. And he was like, Chris, can you put Devin Book on the phone? Chris says, sure. So Chris just goes and take Devin the phone say, look, man, just like my little nephew right here, he going to be next up. Talk to him. So Devin is doing interviews and he stopped his interviews and he's talking to my son. Right. And he screenshots the picture and sends it to my son so my son can have it. And it just makes my son, you know, like they don't have to do that stuff, man. Like, and and I'm just grateful because that's my most prized possession. So the relationship has trickled down and enhanced the quality of life and made others that I can sincerely love feel better about themselves. So I love it. I love uh, the way you include your family and especially junior uh, and your social media stuff and everything. Mm -hmm. And he's, I can tell he's got star written all over him. You That's know, my little man right there. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. You're amazing on social media, and I think it helps what you're trying to do, and it's just great branding for everything that you're involved in. I, I, I you know, I read some stuff about how you're, you went back to your neighborhood and you formed a development company mm-hmm. to to build up your neighborhood that you're so proud of and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's special stuff, man. So you epitomized my definition of coaching is coaching. And I got this uh, from Chuck Daly and and who was very close to Coach K. But coaching is about taking players where they can't take themselves. But parenting is the same thing. Parenting is taking your children where they can't take themselves. And you are the ultimate at both. So we're very honored to have you. I'm coaching you anytime because you're so special. And I, and I, and I'm just so thankful that you t- were able to take some time for with us today. I think about you all the time, man. Um, you know, it, 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 
your stories about Isaiah, a lot of people don't know this. When I was younger, I was going through so much because I had a similar background as Isaiah's. And this movie came on TV. It was called A Mother's Courage. Yep. It was the Mary Thomas story about his, his mom and how they raised him and some of the things that he went through. And everybody loved MJ. And I loved MJ too, but sure. It stopped there because shit, I couldn't do what MJ could do. Right. So I <laughs> could do what MJ could do. Right. 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 Sideline. Like I couldn't do that. So I was like, man, I need to gravitate towards the little fellas. And so I gravitated towards Isaiah, man, and, and some of the things that he, he's done. And, and I'm saying all that to say him and I have become friends through social media. Right. And. Yep. He posted a status about me one day and I almost lost. I, I just fanned out. I was like, what in the hell? Like, this is Isaiah Thomas. And he posted, you know, the city of Raleigh was, they completed a mural on me. He was like, like, this is legacy right here. This is legacy. And I was like, I had to pinch myself because it's amazing how your childhood idols now come back and show you that they revere and love you. And I think one of the most incredible things on earth is, to have the respect of those that you respect so much. Right. And so I yep. think about you all, every time I see Isaiah Thomas, I think about you. Right. Oh, thanks. And I even dug deeper, like with, I know him and Mark Aguirre was best friends growing yep. up, but I never understood how both of them didn't go to, to DePaul. I, mean, I, I wanted to know the backstories to all of those things. Like, so like Isaiah, how you go to Indiana and Mark go to DePaul and y'all best friends and so on and so forth. Like it's, Me Mary Thomas wouldn't Mary let him. Thomas. <laughs> right? So you go down there and get your ass kicked by Bob Knight. That's what she told him. That's that was it. And yeah. Isaiah said his brother and Bobby Knight almost got in a fight in the living room. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. Yeah. You don't, you don't walk but, out that house saying, "Damn, I'm going to get that kid." Like, nah. You like, I just blew it. Nah, so nah. it was crazy. No, those stories. So you know, Lavelle. You, you know when you have all the great players that you end up coaching or being around and you learn, I learned so much from them and mm -hmm. that's what you do. You know, it's not what they learn from me. It's what I learned from them. They yeah. make you a good coach. They make you a better person, et cetera. And that's what Mark and Isaiah and so many of the guys, Doc Rivers, you know, I had in Atlanta for eight years, Dominique Wilkins, you know, so mm -hmm. and John you know, Battle. And, Oh, the great John Battle, fourth round pick, making it like that. Spud Webb, was Dan little Spud. I'm sorry. Was Dan, was Dan Roundfield on that team in Atlanta? I had Dan Roundfield when UB and I first first year I was with Dan Roundfield. Yeah, you know, Tree, I mean, uh, Tree Rollins. Yep, you know. So yeah. you know, like you know, the other day when they have all those players at the top seventy five, I think I've coached nearly twenty of them. You know, wow. and yeah, and and then the top fifteen coaches of all time in the NBA. There's really a lot more than that, but I I coached against fourteen of the fifteen, and uh, my wise ass son said to me, "Dad, you didn't coach against Red Auerbach?" <laughs> I said, "I said no, son. He was done by the time." Yeah, 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 but yeah, but uh, yeah. So that's that's what this great profession has. You make an impact on your players who make an impact on the next generation. That's why we do it. And you're one of the very best. That's why this is so exciting for me to be. Thank with you. you so much. Thank you so much. You know, you know, what's crazy about that? Like in terms of talking about Isaiah, like 
everybody and it's it's so oversaturated now. I'm tired of hearing it. Everybody has these goat conversations. Who's the greatest of all time and so on and so forth. And it's it's all subjective and they, they cater the argument towards whoever they like, right? It's just that simple, right? It, it's just really that simple. You could take if I'm a lawyer, I could make a case for any of them. Sure. Go in the courtroom and but what I've learned throughout those GOAT conversations is that they're really biased as hell. And it's not just biased towards your favorite guy. It's biased because everybody that they have the GOAT conversation about is 6'6 six, six or taller. Right? Mm-hmm. Isaiah is the only guy to beat Magic Bird and Mike in their prime. Yep. At 6'1". Yep. So, like, we love Mike and, and all that, but we we cater it because we only look at six years for Mike, right? Mike didn't win in the eighties, right? And so it's like, right. but the guy that dethroned all of those guys was a six one animal who didn't have any other top fifty guys on his team. You know, Magic mm-hmm. had four Hall of Famers. Bird, Bird <laughs> loaded over there. Mike had Scotty and you know some some yeah. loss. Like I said, y'all, what y'all did in Detroit is like. It's phenomenal. Like, it's it's absolutely phenomenal when you stop, you take a step back, and you look at it. And what I love about all of the great ones is that they all had to go through pain in order to become who they had to be. Like, I remember Magic dribbling out the clock, right? I remember Larry not being able to beat Magic. I remember Kareem getting dominated by Moses in 83, right? I remember Isaiah throwing that ball away in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. I remember Mike not being able to get over the hunt with the Pistons. I remember all of those things, but all of it made them who they ultimately. I remember Kobe shooting the three air balls. I remember Bron going through so much pain. Like they all have to go through it in in order to get through it. You got to get through it in order to get to it. If that makes any sense. Oh, big sense. And once they get to it, now it's it's a problem, man. But what you guys did in 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 Detroit. Like, I love that document, that 30 for 30. I love it. Like, I, I love yeah. it because it broke down everything. And you guys managing those those personalities, it was unreal. It was Piece unreal. of cake. Piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, uh, last thing, when, uh, when, we, when, we, when the great Chuck Daly passed away, we were at all, – all the players came to his funeral, which is very rare, and they all came in, down in Florida – and I remember Vinnie Johnson coming out, who I love Vinnie Johnson. He was just the best. And, you know, he was this six man, obviously, coming off the bench, you know, microwave. And my son was, you know, was our ball boy with the Pistons when he was six, seven years old. Now he's a college graduate at that time mm-hmm. and at the funeral. And he and Vinnie comes up to him and he says, you know, my son's name, BK. He says, BK, you know, your dad and Chuck screwed me. They never gave me enough shots and enough playing time. <laughs> and and then he burst out laughing. But that's how those guys were driven. They just wanted to be the very best. Imagine taking Isaiah Thomas out and putting Vinnie Johnson in or taking Vinnie Johnson out and putting Joe Dumars in. Or, that's how great those guys were. But they were so competitive and they they were the leaders of the group. And so that's why I say they taught us more about coaching than we ever taught them about playing, you know, so we're, had, all, we're, we're blessed. And would have had three in a row if it weren't for a bad call on Kareem in that form. 
You got it. Oh, that's, yeah. That's crazy. That, that yeah. was one of the worst calls in the history of the NBA. <laughs> oh now you're bringing up wounds, man. Yeah. Now, I, now, now I'm pissed off as we as we're finishing there. I gotta go. I gotta go take a shower after this, man. I'm, I'm, you got me upset. But hey, we got to catch up again. You're the best, absolutely the best. And, and and finish us off with this. How did how did Grandma always say to 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 introduce yourself to people? I, I thought that was. Um, she made me introduce myself by saying my name is Lavelle Moton, L-E-V-E-L-L-E-M-O-T-O-N. Always You're the best. My name, spell my name and recite it. That is so great. I wish I knew her. She Thank was you. She was awesome. Thanks so much. You're, you're the best. 